0: Well, hello there. Welcome to Talking with Tigglesworth. My name is RJL Tigglesworth, and I'm at your service. If you want to contact us, info at freedomwithintherapy.com, Twitter at vet underscore therapist, and Facebook at Freedom Within LLC. Mike and I are so glad you joined us today for this episode of Talking with Tigglesworth. You have a good day now, y'all. Well, hello there, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining Mike, and Mike's got another special guest today, and Mike will be talking to Anthony from the Chicago area in a little bit, but first, let me introduce Mike. Mike, where are you at today? Come on over here, Mike. Well, hello there, Colonel. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you for the wonderful time you spent with me, Colonel. I really appreciate it and I'm sure Anthony is going to be pleased to meet you and uh, I talked to him a little bit before we started this recording and he sounds like a good guy so I think the colonel will really like uh, really like Anthony. So as we start every podcast, we want to start it off with talking about a little bit of self-care. Uh, it's very important as we know, and we just hit it up constantly. So for me this week, again, if you've been listening for the last few weeks, I've been constantly building and building and building the North shore Braves and the North shore Braves are um, taking off. We got our uniform mock-ups today. We're going to wear the knicker pants. So we're going to have the nice knickers with the, with the, with the V-neck shirts and the Braves on the front. We're going to look sharp this year. So uh, we're going to have two different jerseys, one for Saturday, one for Sunday. And uh, if you want to support us at North shore Braves on Facebook, or nsbraves20 at gmail, and uh, you can support us, see the pictures, see the uniforms, see all the sponsors. We've gotten a bunch of sponsors this week, too. So self-care for me has been that. It's been way too cold to go fishing, and I've just been enjoying myself and enjoying my time. So what I want to do next is I want to talk to Anthony, and I want to introduce him, and then I want to ask him about his self-care routine, if he has one, uh, Anthony is another veteran, as as we've been interviewing veterans over the last week, uh, two weeks. Anthony's a veteran, and uh, he's also a therapist. And, I th- and I'll let him clarify if he's a therapist or a social worker, but I think he's a therapist. And then we will get into uh, some stuff that he wants to talk about, PTSD, and, and his, his road to becoming a therapist and going into the military and all that. So, Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. So tell us a little bit about um, your your road to to joining the military and your road to joining to
1: be. Are you a therapist or a social worker? I'm actually a social worker. I'm working to become a licensed clinical social worker, but uh, I do get into um, trauma informed care and uh, trauma resolution therapies. So I'm learning as many as I can.
0: Good, good, good. I mean, we We if you've ever heard the podcast before, I always refer to. Uh, therapists and uh, who are also um, veterans and social workers who are also veterans, I, I often refer to us as unicorns because um, some people believe in unicorns and, and they say they're out there, but we can't ever really find them. And that's kind of like veterans therapists is that we know that veteran therapists are out there, but a lot of veterans say they never can find the therapist who is a veteran. So, I call us unicorns. <laughs> I can see that. So talk to us a little bit about your experiences and talk to us about uh, what interests you in coming on a podcast with us.
1: You know, uh, I just want get, to get my voice out. My story is a little different as far as what I experienced in the military, uh, where I'm coming from, uh, the, the veteran population I serve. And, and I think just my, my life story is rather unique. So I just want to bring it to the table. You know, most of my life I've been inverted and I didn't want to share anything. And I've learned to actually open up and share. And since I've been doing it, I find it empowers myself and it seems to empower other people.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I see you got the, the the background behind you is Chicago and you got a lot of little different things about Chicago. I've never been there personally, but I grew up a Cubs fan. And so okay. when the Cubs won that World Series, man, I was a I was <laughs> that was a happy day for me. There we go. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. So uh, how old are you right now? So I'm 34 years old. Okay, 34. And I'm 40. And uh and the colonel, the colonel's uh he's he's over 70 somewhere on the line, but we haven't gonna talk about the colonel's age. So the the you're still rather young, right? And so you're in your second career. Um I read a little bit about your profile and you served in the military, you served in the army for about four, a little bit over four years, is that right? Yes, sir, one contract. Okay, so um, What made you go into that particular field of the, of, the, of the military? You was in finance, you said.
1: Yeah, so I joined as a human resources. So uh, I'll tell you, when the recruiter came to my high school, he came in a Chrysler 300 when they first came out had some 22-inch rims on it. He had a fat necklace, gold teeth, uh, looks like Jamie Foxx, beautiful skin. This guy was a sharp talker. And uh, he came into the high schools over here and he said, hey, you don't have to get shot. You don't have to go to war. You don't have to to live in a war zone now. You don't have to go to a war zone and be like uh, Black Hawk Down and the video games. What about your money? And so, you know, that's what really stuck out to me is the money. Um, I come from a family of immigrants and, uh, you know, getting social mobility, moving up the social hierarchy. I had a football scholarship. I messed that up, went to jail. So uh, if scholarships out the window. There's not a lot of other opportunity for me out here, or at least that's how I was feeling as a teenager. So I'm thinking, hey, you know, I get to leave the neighborhood, get to leave the Midwest, the cold. And uh, I mean, we're already risking, I'm already risking getting shot out here. I'm already dealing with, uh, you know, conflict out here. I might as well join the service and see where it gets me. And then he starts telling me like, hey, man, we got uh, a pose. He introduced me, you know, person other than grunts. And he's like, you know what? They talk a lot of shit about that, but. You know, I think you will enjoy that. I was like, yeah, man, I'll be a paper pusher. And uh, he signed me. He, you know, told me this tale. that like He got some buddy who's stationed in Hawaii and works a nine to five in the office and serves at six o'clock every day. So, you know, he, he sold me a nice little dream of uh, just getting a good job. And he said, hey, man, if you do human resources, every every business has human resources. That's guaranteed you to get a job once you get out. So, uh, you know, I, I took the bait, man. That's a good point. You're right. I
0: mean, transferable skills. That's what we talk about a lot. Um, sounds like he, he hit all the the points uh, that you needed to hear at that time in your life. And it, it worked. He signed you up. They take a different approach. So I, I was born and raised in Louisiana and the approach was a little different. It was um it was more about, you know, going out and seeing the world because a lot of people don't don't leave Louisiana. And so it was about seeing the world and, and getting out there and going to do all the things. And this was pre 9-11. So I joined in two in um, 2000. So they weren't really talking about going to war either. Like, you know, we haven't been in the war in years. And, you know, chances are you're not going to go anywhere else. So just go enjoy Germany or go enjoy Korea. Um, and then little did I know, you know, a year later, we would be getting ready to, to go over there. Um so you did your, you did your time in in in, in the military and uh, you decided to get out right but before that what was life like for you growing up because one of the things that you mentioned to me when you was when you was interested in doing this was talking about how trauma can can be impacted on someone even without military experience and and as we know as clinicians the The research supports that more civilians um, are diagnosed with PTSD than than, uh, military veterans um, or service members. So talk to us a little bit about that experience for you and uh, and, and what you see, not only in in your small area, but the, the, the community at large around you.
1: Yeah, so I'll tell you, uh, the first thing I thought of is like, I'm the walking embodiment of ACEs, um, adverse childhood experiences. Um, My father is an immigrant from Mexico. Um, He was back and forth between Mexico and Chicago. Um, On the other side of the law, um, my, my mother comes from my Italian immigrant family. She's first generation. Uh, She's a smoker and a drinker and a partier. Uh, She grew up, you know, dealing with her own childhood traumas. And uh, as an effect, I was pretty much uh, left to raise myself. My father got deported when I was 12. And, um, you know, that took not only my father away, but the access to that side of my family away. And so uh, it was just pretty much me then. And, you know, talking about (laughs) trauma, you know, just... We didn't have food. Um, this was back before uh, social services would keep your electricity and gas on in the winter. We didn't even have that. I remember we had a water bed, and it froze over in the ice because we didn't we didn't have any gas in our in our apartment. Um, you know, it was rough for me. The the <laughs> the cliche poverty stories. Um, I had a million friends because I never had dinner at home, so I had to line a friend up. You know, I was eating dinner at a different friend's house every night. Um, And and just growing up with trauma, my mom had been abused by my father. Um, She'd been abused by other men, beat in front of me, um, had sex, you know, in the next room and very promiscuous environment, um, drugs all over, um, gang life everywhere I go. Um, I have family members in different gangs. So if you go to a family function just in my house, there's going to be violence. There's going to be problems. And uh, that's just an everyday occurrence over here. Um, I have family, you know, my father's been in and out of prison. My brothers have been in and out of prison. My cousins have been in and out of prison. So when we talk about trauma and and how that affects people, how it affects, you know, me growing up, you know, it had a lot of effects on me. And, uh, you know, I, I actually, I joined the service being on probation. I was on probation and the war just kicked off and they needed, they needed soldiers. So that was my opportunity is the, the judge let me offer probation under the terms that I joined the military.
0: Wow. Okay. So I, I, I'm assuming, right. And, but you know, what happens when we assume, so I'm asking, um, is your story unique for your area or is your story common or how, how do you see that?
1: so you know for for my area, I would say you know there's 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 tons of veterans who have a very similar story, you know is coming from a family of immigrants coming from poverty, um just looking for an escape, not being necessarily scared of the consequences, just looking for opportunity um, I would say, well my well made my situation unique um was that I was you know I'm a little hesitant to talk about how much I participated on the other side of the law especially now as a professional but I'll just put it this way uh, I'm a lucky man that I'm not in prison right now and uh I, the fact that I could even join the service and do something so honorable and have an opportunity like that is you know there's a lot of guys that come from the hood that join the service but a lot of them knew from a young age, you know what, well, I need to do something different. Mine wasn't like that. Mine was, I went to jail for a while. I was on probation. I'm, I I had prison guaranteed for me. And so, uh, you know, I guess that could be a little cliche. That's a lot of people, but one, one thing I will say, I'll segue it into a little bit is, I feel when I I, I joined for Human Resources, but they put me in an infantry unit. And um, the leadership right away, they, they kind of caught wind, like, hey, this guy, he's built a little different. His, his morals, his ethics are a little different. We know he's not going to say things. Um, we know he's going to shut up. And uh, I feel, you know, in many ways that I was kind of preyed upon a little bit, not only by the recruiters, but once I got to active duty. Um, there was a place for me in the military. There's a place for uh, people that grew up like I grew up, and uh, they definitely put put some of these um, attributes, some of these characteristics that people get. You know, where I come from, how we have, who we are. They they uh they put that to good use. I'll just say, is that right? That's, that's, that's interesting.
0: And, 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 and through my time, I mean, I was, a uh, you know, you mentioned the word Pogue earlier and that's funny because <laughs> I mean, I guess I was classified as that too. I was a, I was a fuel truck driver. So I drove fuel trucks all around, all around the world. And, um, it started off as a, as just an 88 Mike. Then I went to fuel handler school and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I do get that mentality and, and we, we would get, um, people from all around the world and, and, and I have a lot of friends that are up in your area, um, either either in illinois or or in um pennsylvania area and all that kind of stuff but so so with you when you go to get to your unit and and you meet in your first sergeant and your commander and, and and you a platoon sergeant and all that um do you feel like you were you were already prepared for the military because of because of your background or do you feel like you were able to play the games a little a little easier like how was that for you
1: yeah, definitely. You know, um, when you say that, you know, a lot of people they get to boot camp and just that first time showering around a group of men, that could be uncomfortable. That was comfortable for me. That's nothing. You know, it, it, at least it's not jail. Um, you know, I had already been through jail. I went to jail at, at 16 years old with uh, adults, and um, you know, Cook County's not easy. This is one of the hardest jails in the nation. Um, I went there as a kid. So we talk about institutionalization, doing what you're told, being invisible. Um, so, you know, some of these things. Yeah, it was already total line. Some of these things are second nature to me already by the time I got there. And then also being from Chicago, I know how to politic with people from all, the diff- all, all walks of life. And that's another thing that suited me well when I joined the military was, you know, I could talk. I could talk and gain relationships with not only people from all over, but from all different ranks. You know, I have, you know, and then um, it's weird that I ended up in infantry because, you know, man, I did not sign up for that. That was the last thing, last thing I wanted. I signed up 42 alpha human resources. And when they sent me to infantry division, Man, I was pissed because I didn't wanna that whole ego to me is almost like a gangbanger ego, you know, like I grew up with people ready for war, talking about war nonstop, talking about I'm gonna do this and I'm a bad motherfucker that and all that. I grew up with that. So that's the last environment I wanted to end up in. You know, I wanted to end up in a library. Yeah, you wanted the be-
0: you wanted a different environment. That that's that's that that's interesting. The uh yeah, and you wound up kind of around the same characters, I guess you could say. Um, that do you think that um, the opportunities uh, the recruiters will give people that were in your in your situation? Do you think it was more of a more of a handout? I mean, a hand up, or you think it was more of a uh, a manipulation on their part?
1: You know. Uh... I felt differently about, you know, if you would have asked me that question throughout my experience, I'd probably give you different answers. Now that it's, you know, bunny or bunny or all worked out, um, you know, I feel like they almost set me up for success. You know, you had a great point that there's human resources, uh, you know, everywhere. So they were setting, setting me up. And, you know, even though I ended up in the infantry, that that all ended up working out out fairly well too. So I tell you what, if they would have put me in that office in Hawaii nine to five, uh, you know, I don't think I would have made it. My mouth, who I am, my character—I like to talk shit, like to get in trouble a little bit. Uh, I ended up fitting in pretty good with the infantry, you know. So you know, now in hindsight, yeah, they they set me up for success.
0: They set you up for success, Ed. I'm glad you can get that outlook. And sometimes when you get out, you you start to reflect on it and you're like, well, you know, did they, did they treat me right? Or did they do the right thing? And, you know, for the while, for the while, I was, I was kind of pissed off um, when I got out a little bit, uh, mainly because of, 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 of things like promotions and stuff. So I got out, I was an E5 when I got out, uh, but I had enough points to go to the E6 board and get E6. But when they found out that, uh, that, that I was getting out, they just said, "Ah, oh, we're going to send other people. And that kind of, you know, I could have still achieved something more, but you, you, you're saying because I'm not going to give you 20 years that you, my turn of, uh, of, of success is over here. And so that kind of, uh, in my mind, shitty leadership would uh, just kind of irritate me a little bit. But from from coming um, kind of from where you're at to, to where you're at now, that's a, that's a huge step, right? It's
1: a huge jump. Yeah, you know, there's there's still, you know, a, a lot of story in there, too. Uh, the, the unit I actually was in made Rolling Stones and they made a movie about um, that. They had the most civilian casualties out there, had accusations of baiting and just being overall crooked. And um, it's kind of funny because growing up with that criminality and having my criminal experience and lifestyle. And then I ended up in a unit. That, that was just like that. And um, they have a legacy for it. You know, they, they've disbanded this this brigade and this unit now. But that unit's history will forever live on. And I was a part of that. And so it's just interesting, you know, how how things work out.
0: That that, that is interesting. And you uh, at the time you was in it, did you realize that this this kind of paralleled your, your, your life before the military?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, for, for legal reasons, I won't go into details of some (laughs) of the things I've been asked to do while I was in active duty. But, uh, I'll tell you what, I I didn't know that there was so much criminality in the military too. And there's definitely a huge element in there. Um, especially when, you know, I I was in the S one, And I was working around a lot of uh, high-ranking people. The XO, you know, the battalion commander. I'm working all the sops shops are full of officers. I'm working with all of them. And I found myself being in situations and being in the mix of things. I had no business being at with my rank, but because of my life experience, because of my mouth and how I conducted myself, my loyalty, uh, I, and because of my background. You know, being being a criminal from Chicago, I ended up in them positions. And uh, I think that the leadership, you know, not that there's this grand conspiracy to, to get people like me in these positions, but if we're already in the military, in the ranks, you might as well put these guys to use. And I feel that's what happened in my case.
0: It sure makes it easier f- for them to to skirt the system. If they, if they got someone there that is probably going to just, you know, not, not, not saying you condone it, but saying you, you're not gonna, you're conditioned not to, not to, not to want to, you know, disrupt it basically.
1: Yeah. You're not gonna, (laughs) you're not getting no reports from me. You know, I'm not saying nothing. I keep my mouth shut. Uh, I've been interviewed by IG plenty of times, you know, I'll just say uh, I didn't know nothing. You know? I don't know anything. That's
0: that's the word. I mean, because you're right, absolutely right. See, and, and and on the podcast, we we try to be real and 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 not not that we're like I'm not I'm not a, a, a an expose journalist or anything. I'm mean, I'm a I'm an LMFT, but. We, we don't shy away, whether it's the VA, whether it's because uh, the colonel, the colonel goes off in the VA. I mean, he, he, he's he got he's got his own issues with the VA. Uh, I got to keep him out. I got to keep him away from the VA sometimes. But um, it, people have this this conception of of um, the military, the military. Everyone in the military is squeaky clean and everyone in the military is dress right dress and great hair and, shine, you know, boots all polished up. But when we, you know, in my day, we had to polish our boots. Uh, these cats today, they get to just put any shit on and walk around. But uh, so, but the military is comprised of a sample of the population of people that the country is comprised of, and and there's shitty people in the country, and there's shitty people in the military, and and they'll take advantage of you, uh, just like you said, and they will they, they people, and then power does the same thing. So when you get in a position of power. Um, whether it's in the civilian world, whether it's in the nonprofit world, whether it's in the military, power is going to do a few different things, especially for men, right? So power is going to do, it's going to give you a little bit more money. It's going to give you a little bit more ego and you're going to take more risks than you ordinarily would on, on average because your ego is higher and, uh, and you think that you're in that position for a reason. And, and sometimes it, that's a hard thing to stop when, everyone else around you is not going to say anything because of this leadership structure. You know, if the colonel is, 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 you know, doing something dirty, uh, the major show sure the hell ain't going to say nothing. And then the lieutenants and the captains aren't going to say anything. And then what's the S1 clerk going to fucking say, you know? Yeah.
1: And, and you know what? Yeah. I noticed if people got something to say, they leave. <laughs> they don't say it. They just leave. <laughs> we had uh, a, what, what's that called? Uh, IOD. I ain't never seen so many, so many soldiers transfer to IOD. That's
0: something else. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. You know,
1: so, I hate to say that they uh took advantage of me. They they found a spot for me. You know, and that's the thing is I probably would have been kicked out if uh, if if they didn't find a spot for me, if I didn't have uh the role I had in the situation I did have. Um I wasn't ready to mature right away, but I'll tell you what, by the end of my contract, I matured a lot. i had grown a lot. And if I only knew then, you know, what I was getting myself into, you know, I probably would have, would have done things a little differently.
0: I bet. Did you, did you get yourself any, um, any good mentors? I know when I was in, um, I had a few good, really good mentors then. And, and, uh, when I was in Korea and, and he probably never going to hear this cause I haven't spoken to him and almost 20 years, but, uh, I had a cat named Sergeant Taylor and he was, uh, he was E5 at the time. I was, I was, uh, I was private at the time in Korea and Sergeant Taylor, he, um, he would take me around in his car because NCOs could have a car in Korea and we would just talk about life. And he was a little bit older than me. We'd just talk about life and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but he was, he was instrumental in, in me, uh, Korea being my first duty station and, um, First time being out the country, first time, you know, living away from the state, living away from from home um, besides basic and AIT. So did you have anyone in the military like that for you?
1: You know, towards the end of towards the end of my contract, I did. But the irony of that, my my first NCO in charge of me uh, used to be a crackhead. And uh, he he actually he he actually got kicked out of the military because they couldn't promote him past E5. He's one of these guys that was just a, uh, you know, a sergeant forever. And uh, he would get, like, counselings for his hygiene. And, you know, he was in the S1, but he couldn't read or write. I'm like, how the fuck did you end up here, you know? But, uh, and it's kind of weird coming from a family of crack dealers, coming from a a crack neighborhood in a crack city that Chicago is, for my first NCO to be a former crackhead, you know? (laughs) It's like, it's like... My my NCO is one of my customers almost, you know, from my previous life. So, uh, no, I really, you know, I really missed out on that. I I was, uh, when I joined, I was 18 years old. I already had a a kid. Um, I I was already, you know, with my girl for like three years and I desperately needed it. And um, unfortunately, we went through NCO, NCOIC after NCOIC, um, NCO after NCO, um, a little backstory, real quick, just with my my brigade. They they recommissioned it, so they started five two out of uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, so know it was, the unit. Okay, so yeah, that, <laughs> I, know, yeah I actually worked with some of those cats. Five two, five three. Yeah, uh,
0: five two, five. it turned to five three. Yeah, yeah. They yep. uh I, they <laughs> I remember when they started up. I was at Lewis when they started up, so uh, I got I got out in 08. And um, one of the details that I got put on around 05, 06 time frame was uh, I was doing uh, combat water survival training. So I became a combat water survival trainer and we were training the cadets to come through and they tasked a few of those uh, 5253 5, guys. And so we would hear a lot about I didn't realize I didn't realize it was the same unit. We would hear a lot about that unit uh, from some of those NCOs that were doing the training with us.
1: Yeah, they were you know a lot like I tell you, people were desperate to leave. So uh, if they could go go to Yakima, if they go to IOD, if they if they had to break themselves off, I seen a guy drop a, a safe on his leg to to get out the unit, you know. But uh, I, I tell you, the irony of having the mentor is just when I thought it wasn't going to happen, I was injured. I knew I was going to be done um, in an infantry unit. Our NCOIC that they brought in was a was, uh, homosexual. He was a gay guy in the infantry unit. And I'll tell you, man, the morning formations were horrible because our, our, our sergeant major would just go in on him, you know, have him call Cadence and he would do it, you know, with uh, pronouncing his S's like that. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, I grew up in a very homophobic environment. So, the idea that this guy leaving us, this NCOIC of the S1, is gay in an infantry unit was really hard for me to deal with. And then um, my, the other guys in the S1 were like from New York and from other cities like me. So, but I, I say this because you know what? This guy had more backbone, more heart. More natural born leadership skills, more integrity than any other leader I had while I was in there. Um, He led from the front. He was a great example. And not just of what a soldier should be and a leader should be, but what a man should be, too. And, um, you know, he he helped save my life. And it's crazy as I come come home to find out one of my brothers um, was in the closet and opened up, and if it wasn't for meeting this the sergeant, not only would I not made it through the service, but I I probably would have never accepted my brother. And I'm one of the only people that did. So uh, this guy just left this huge imprint on my life, and um, he's honestly one of one of the greatest things that that happened to the army, in my opinion. He's a great soldier, and he he may may wear lip gloss and he may smell like herbal essences after pt but uh he's a great guy that's that's a that's a good story i mean that's that's that's
0: it, it set you up unknowingly set you up for a future encounter with your brother and, and 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 it's always good that you know we can maintain those friendly relationships and and it's tough i get it it's tough when you when something happens and you don't you don't expect it you don't expect information to come out of you like that um it's tough. And, and you know, growing up in New Orleans uh, or right outside of New Orleans, I grew up in a little area called Marrero, which is like 15 minutes outside downtown. Um, it was kind of the opposite. Like I when I when I got out of the high school, um, I went to chef school and I became a chef before I joined the army. And going into the culinary world in New Orleans, uh, it, that was a different world for me. I mean, there was there was a lot of homosexuals then. And um and and I grew up with my my aunt being gay and and um no, no one really knowing it and my papa my my papa's dead right now. I love him to death. He's dead, but he would always he had always referred to her as uh as that's your Aunt Nina's friend, you know? And so it's so uh, everyone knew it as Aunt Nina's friend and and not not Aunt Nina's uh future wife, you know. So uh it's 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 funny, old school though, you know. Um, so what made you, what, what you said you got injured, uh, what, what happened for injury? Did you get, did you, that, that made you get out?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I tore my Achilles tendon. Um, that was the first thing that happened to me and, uh, man, being on a profile in the infantry unit is a no go. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm a bigger guy. Um, I. you know, I always made my PT test and I was still like two thirty. You know, and I still made my measurement, but I was, you know, I had hit the the three hundred club. I was a specimen, you know, at first, but I still have a big body, and these guys were little, man. The infantry guys, most of them were 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 pretty thin and ran a lot. You know, they're cardio machines, and so all that running took a toll on my body. And uh, after I tore my Achilles tendon. I just never gave it the time it really needed to heal. And I just kept making it worse. So that was the first thing that happened to me. And then uh, the second thing that happened to me is uh, we were doing some training and we were, um, I don't even remember what the technical term for, disembarking the five tons, you know, where you jump out, you're doing a tactical formation and yeah. the last guy slams the tail shut. Yeah. Well, this, this fucking guy was so eager for some reason to slam the tail shut that he slammed my hand in it and completely crushed my hand. So my hand was just like a bloody, jelly slop by the time we opened it back up. So between my right hand being damaged and my right ankle being damaged, uh, (laughs) I wasn't going to be, you know, I didn't have a lot of future and I didn't want to do the whole... I knew I was going to be out at the end of my contract. So it wasn't like they're going to put me back together and I was... You know, going to go save our country again. That that was never my story. So once I was hurt, I'll be real. That was a check to me. I knew I was out. Yeah. Shit. Even if I didn't get the human resource job, at least I know I have a check coming. So that was, yeah. that meant something, you know. I I hear. I mean, yeah. That that's crazy. That um,
0: slamming the tailgate. We we would we would constantly be getting safety briefings about that kind of stuff. You know, as as a, as a truck driver. Um, and maintaining full points of contact. And, um, yeah, whoever was the the TC of that vehicle, he was responsible for that. So, uh, that's crazy. But, um, how's your hand today?
1: You know, uh, this hand has been through hell, man. I grew up boxing. (laughs) I grew up, uh, being a dumb teenager, punching walls and, punching skulls and the hand was probably wrecked before that happened. But since then, you know, it's, man, it's a stone. It's uh, you know, I do most of my typing with my left. I'll put it that way. Okay. Well, I hope you got your uh, VA comp
0: for that. You getting injured in service. Uh, A little bit. I'm content. Something to work towards, you know, I tell every vet, um, if you got injured, I mean, I'm not telling you to go lie because, you know, we don't want to do that, but if you got injured, then you you continue to press until one you get those injuries uh cared for and two until you get the 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 worth of the compensation for those injuries and and don't stop because you've you've earned them and and fuck the government's taking our money anyway, so we might as well get some of that shit back you know. Especially here in Illinois. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, y'all got it bad over there. (laughs) Yeah. Y'all got those uh, Chicago politics and, you know, taxes. And and, and your mayor is a little, uh, your mayor's got a mind of her own. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's what they call (laughs) her. That's what they call (laughs) her. So, what got you interested in, um, and getting out and, and and going on the road that you're going on now, I mean, you got you got a, a ton of a ton of life experience before you even hit the military. Um, what kind of set you on your road now? And and tell us about that road. Like what what does that look like for you? And, and, and what is what does work look like for you right now?
1: So, you know, I would say on the road is uh, I've always been everybody's big brother even if I'm a lot younger than people. And um, I noticed that has followed me everywhere I've gone in life, even in jail um, and in the military. I was in the S1 and uh, guys that would get in trouble and they'd have to turn in the, you know, whatever, the 4187 or whatever it was to demote them. And uh, when they get in there, man, they let loose. My girls just fucking left me, man. I got drunk and I fucked up and I would find these soldiers in front of me, all different ranks, walks of life, just needing some, some, uh, you know, some companionship, needing somebody there for them. And the unit we were in, there wasn't a lot of people there for people, you know, and I felt it too. And so, uh, man, I would just open my heart and give my heart out to these soldiers and it made a difference. A lot of them, man, they, you know, they say like, I hear social work and, you know, helping people is a thankless profession, but I heard my thank yous and they weighed heavy on my heart. So, uh, you know, after after leaving the service, I was just going to do maybe the human resource thing. But uh, I still kept finding myself in that situation of helping people. And I ended up working at a vet center um, in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I had a scholarship to play football. I went to jail. So I never got to play football at UW-Madison. But after I got my GI Bill, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm getting a second chance. So I go to the community college and I end up, you know, back there. But, yeah, man, I ended up there and I ended up, you know, making a relationship with a lot of the therapists there and social workers there and a lot of our clients, you know. And and, um, I I was on a work-study. As like an admin, you know. So um yeah, collecting that work study check and I was surrounding myself by good people too, more importantly, you know, these I know where I came from. I was thinking about everything else. And these people at the vet Center helped kept me focused. So um, you know, that's kind of where it started. And, you know, also I had a lot of a lot of work I had to do for trauma. Um man, I had nightmares. I thought I was going to prison. Before the military, I had nightmares from jail. They put me in solitary confinement. I think I was there like a week and a half. It felt like a year. It fucked my head up, man. I was never never right after that. Um, after growing up without parents, everything I had been through, um, I was haunted by it. Everything I seen in the service, I was haunted by it. I seen a lot of shit. And... uh I thought I was going to prison in the service. I still, I wouldn't be surprised if one day they hit me up like, got you, motherfucker. You know, I don't know. So, man, I just, I was such a mess. Anxiety. That's another thing is my, my brother, he served and he shot himself. And uh, I never had anxiety a day in my life. I heard people talk about anxiety. I thought that was the most pussiest shit in the world. Like, what do you mean you can't breathe? What do you mean you're stuck, you're frozen? But after my brother shot himself, man, I got anxiety that really uh, that really changed things for me. So I also had to start putting in my own work. And so I just had to bring this up is because, you know, part of helping other people was part of me doing my own work. And uh, I had done... The, the 10-week program, cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure therapy. Um, I done all types. I fucking did yoga. Um, I did all types of stuff, you know. No disrespect to yoga. Uh, the Vipanasa meditation. Man, Madison, they had me doing all this other alternative shit and by the book, you know, scientifically proven. And I feel like I would get better. I would get better for a few months. But I find myself still drinking to to numb it as a tool. I find myself still disassociating. I find myself still not sleeping. I found myself still tormented by everything I've been through. And so it was a long journey of putting in the work, talking. And, you know, another thing is I got wrapped back into the criminal life and graduate school. And after I'd done so much to change who I was, I still got wrapped back into that life. And I found myself worried about prison again and looking at my two children and my wife and thinking, like, what the fuck am I doing, man? And I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't addicted, but what I was is not in control. And so I had to get in control. I worked so hard to get to grad school and to get that far in my life that, man, I looked at myself and, you know, I hear a lot of addicts say, you know what, this was the the breaking point that I knew I had to stop. Well, uh, one of my one of my best friends and illegal business partners got killed on national TV by the police, FBI investigation. And that's when I was like, you know what, if I don't do something to change what's wrong with me now, no matter how much work I put in, I'm going to end up in prison. That's just who I am and where I come from. That's just what is wrong with me. That's just some build-up toxicity. And so that's when, uh, man, I found this guy. He was telling me some shit about brain spotting and EMDR. Sounded like some hypnotist. I don't know. He seemed kind of like, I don't know, he's kind of corny. Thought he might might be a little, I don't know. He was a little out there, man. And he said some shit to me one day in class. He said, hey, with these treatments... Them nightmares you've been having can stop with just a few sessions. And he said that, man, I wanted to beat his ass. I stood up shaking because I thought about what I went through, what my brother that shot himself went through, what my father went through, and what everybody else I know, he's telling me he can he heal us. He can help us. But how come nobody ever wanted, you know, nobody won. why is it my first time hearing about it? Ten years after, I'm in the serve, you know, eight years after. And so uh, I took this man up on his offer. And uh, after two sessions of brain spotting, I never had my nightmares of prison no more. I never had that nightmare of being in formation and them calling me up and fuck, I'm stuck. They got me. Never had that nightmare. Of they're coming for me. Um, a lot of the shame and guilt and anger I felt gone. And what I realized is bottom up processing processing where my body, where I could somatically feel, understand what's going on in my body and releasing it, save me. And after I learned all these tools and been through all these things, I had to, you know, I already wanted to give back. I was already to the point. I knew I was going to work with people and give back. I just didn't know quite how. And uh, now that I've experienced all these trauma resolution therapies All these different uh, DBT, CBT, um, all these different skill sets. I decided, you know, I'm going to use these and I'm going to use them to serve not only people, but my people, veterans, uh, colored people, poor people. And and brain spotting is great because it doesn't have, and I'm not going to make it a brain spotting pitch. But the one thing I love is, you know, I grew up with talk therapy. And that's against my culture. That's against who I am. You Maybe won't tell now since I'm blabbing to you with the mouth, but for years it was against, you know, who I was. And and what I love about brain spotting and some of these other therapies is that I don't have to say say much to nobody. I get connected and in my zone, my brain knows what to do and my body knows what to do. And it did it and it helped me. And so I hope to bring that power along to, to my community.
0: Man, that's incredible. You're preaching to the choir right now. Uh, I, I, am, um, I just finished my boot camp for EMDR and um, I, I'm currently in the uh, certification process. So um, every, I, I'm going to meet with my, my consultant on, on a weekly basis and um, lining up my 25 people so I can get certified. I'm going to start my videos pretty soon, recording people. That brain spotting—I've never done brain spotting. I've read about it, and and, and I, I know it's a, a a shorter version of EMDR. Um, in a sense, uh, that's what I love about EMDR and brain spotting. Is I had—I used to have a coworker that would do brain spotting. Um, Get it out of the fucking way. That—that's the important piece, right? Just—I tell people constantly. They say, "Can I do this? I don't think I can do this. I—I I, I don't know if I can." stay focused or whatever. I say, all you got to do is show up and bring your brain because everything else will take care of itself. You sit there, bring your brain. And when I say, what do you notice? You just tell me whatever you notice. That's it. And so it's a process to get there. I think I think EMDR is a little longer in that process than, than brain spotting is because we have to come up with that that treatment plan and that that whole negative cognition and positive cognition. and But the somatic uh, body response and the, the brain spotting and, and, and it didn't hit me until you said it, but it makes so much sense, right? So, obviously, I mean, the audience, they don't see me. They see the colonel. So, um, if you can't tell, I'm, <laughs> I'm a white guy, right? So, I'm, I'm Cajun from, from the bayou. And, um, but what you said about culturally being um, not – talk therapy not being within your culture – I never realized that. Right. And so, and now that I reflect, as you were saying that I reflect on my community mental health time and, and how the approach with, with, with the little, the little white kids was a little different than the approach with, with the black kids or the approach with, with the Hispanic kids. And, and that makes sense. Now that you said that, that, uh, talk therapy wasn't really in the culture and, 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 that's something that I've not, no one's no one's told me before. That's new information there.
1: You know, I'll give you my little pitch for brain spotting. I um, will tell you what, uh, I'm from Chicago. I'm not going to lie and be like I'm a hunter, but I've been on a have been to hunting stand. Right when I was in the hunting stand, I was scanning and scanning. I was having dual stimulation because both ears was listen to the the branches, listen to the birds, listen to, to outside. When I was doing my road marches back in the day, same thing, scanning, scanning. You know, I talk about if we we're hunters and gatherers, you know, I just talk about hunting if we we're gathering, what do you do? You scan for berries, you're walking, you're scanning, you know, um, <laughs> I have so many of my time in my life I brain spotted because my shit was real, man. My, my body was begging me to let this shit out. And my mind was like, no. And every now and then I catch myself and man, I'm fucking crying. I'm fucking zone out. And I just kind of like, why? And it's just brain spotting is so natural to me. People, it's easy after I make that analogy. Hey man, you ever been through going through a bunch of shit? And you're in the middle of a conversation, you just zone out and think about emotional things that are unrelated. Oh yeah, man, I've been through that before. That's what I do. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm going to talk to you just enough where you start thinking about that shit and just zone out, brother. I'll leave the room and just leave him there zoned out. I don't need to find a spot. He'll find his own spot. But it's that introduction to the concept, introduction to that concept to listen to your body. Um, you know, we move so much nowadays. with are You know, and I had to say we, I like to I always use I statements. You know, I, I, I move so much nowadays. That, you know, it's hard for me to be connected to it, but, you know, I think it's a lot of connections as to where you look um, affects how you feel. And whether that's EMDR or brain spotting or the sciences of the future that we don't know yet, you know, it's true. I'm a believer. I've seen it happen. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be part of it as it grows and as it comes together as a foundation
0: absolutely i mean it's a it's a new thing and and i was a little i wasn't afraid of it i um year for years i've heard negative about e m d r and it was mainly from from people who either a wasn't certified in it or b um m- maybe had it and it was uh um maybe it was done not the the most correct way or maybe they just they they didn't fully um access the The memory um or they didn't access uh the negative cognition, um but I would hear a lot of negative things from it and 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 it wasn't until um my sister who who's who's asked our social worker and so she has a little private practice down across the uh across the lake and um and she told me she was doing it and 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 her and I were very different in a lot of senses um but her doing it I was like. I was like, huh, that, there's something to look into. And then with COVID happening, um, the class that's normally like $1,100 a class went on sale to like 600 bucks. And so saying, I was like, I'm going to do it now. So I did I did yeah. both of them. So I spent like 1,200 bucks for both classes and then the consultation. But I, I kind of kicked myself in the ass. Like The, the time that I spent doing uh, talk therapy with people um, and now that I started using the MDR with those same people, they're looking at me. They're like, Mike, why we didn't do this a year ago? And I was like, I didn't know it a year ago. I'm literally, you're you're learning with me. And and this one lady told me, she said, Mike, I've been carrying this anxiety for 20 years. And she said, we've done two processing sessions and I don't have that anxiety anymore. She said, I don't feel it here. I don't feel guilty anymore. And, and she is like, she runs the therapy. She's excited to be there to to, uh, to get another, another memory, just click off the list. And, um, and, and so much so that, you know, I'm seeing one of her children now and, and she's telling, she's telling people in the community and they're, they're coming to me saying, you know, I heard about this EMDR stuff and, you know, let, let's, let's do it. And so it's, it's really, it's really enhanced my ability to just help people. And, um, and, and you're absolutely right. It's so natural. And that's what I, that's that's the key of it. It's so natural. It's like when we're talking to people, a lot of times our eyes are doing this, that, that bilateral stimulation, um, or we're, we're tapping ourselves or we're clicking our fingers or whatever we're doing, you know, I do a lot of fishing. And so I talked about this in the podcast. And when I'm fishing, I'm constantly scanning, just like you said, and I got the birds in the background. I'm on my boat. I might have the radio on or whatever. And, and I'm just hearing whatever's going on, constantly fishing and looking for those bass, those redfish, whatever I'm going for. Uh, so it fits. It, it it's not, it's not something you got to force. And that's, that's what I love about it, man. You're so with you uh, now that you've done all this work and, and, and we have to keep doing it, right. Because that transition out of the military is a hard one. Um, and you mentioned the vet center. I too got my start uh, at the vet center. So um, same as you pushing papers, licking envelopes, sending them out in the mail, you know? Um, and that's where I started reading about PTSD anxiety. And, uh, and in my mind, when I first started, right, I started at the vet center, I think in Oh four. So I I got out of the military. Um, I joined the reserve. And then, and I think I told this story on, on a couple of podcasts ago, I got out of the military, I joined the reserve. And then like three months later, the reserve unit was activated. And so we went right back to active duty for another three and a half years. So, uh, so I had to leave that vet center job after a while and. But the therapist that I met there and 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 the people that came through, when I was first started there, I was like, this PTSD stuff, it seems like it's a lot of Vietnam guys, right? Because it was the Vietnam guys coming through and they had some Korean war guys come through. Um, and then when I started reading about it, I was like, huh. <laughs> so so that's what they're calling this shit that I got every night? You know, that's 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 I never went and got diagnosed. And and I say this now, I'm comfortable saying it. I've never gotten diagnosed with it. Um because I never went to get diagnosed for it because I knew that I was in school to be a therapist. And, and I don't believe, and this is just, this is just Mike. This is not like the therapist. I don't believe that uh, when they're, when they're deciding contracts that if they, if, if they get a sense that I'm in their system, that they're not going to peek at my records. So, uh, cause the VA is not safe with, with medical records. And so I, I didn't go for that reason selfishly because of the fact that um, I didn't want it to be in my records. I did go to private therapy. I paid out of pocket, uh, but I didn't go to the VA for that. Um, I didn't want it in my records. Um, I can't claim it as a disability because I didn't go to the VA, but, um, I'd rather not be in my records. So it's interesting that, that, that we have that similarity with the vet center, because that is a, it's a good introduction to that. And, and it, and it allowed me to see what it was like to work in a clinic as opposed to working in the private practice. And so, um, when you started doing um, trauma work and and all the trainings that you're doing, are you in a clinic? Like where are you at right now?
1: So, uh, well, I was at, yeah, I was, you know, doing all this through graduate school um, and internships Um, at, at clinics. I couldn't really practice, but since I was working on my certification for brain spotting, I could do it independently, you know, just, just as a, you know, as a in practice essentially. You know, um, so right now I work for I don't don't know if I want to share where I work for, but I'll just say I work for a grant that what it is, is we work with veterans who have been homeless before. And most of them have recently been homeless and they're stabilized. But what the VA saw was these veterans that are homeless are getting stabilized, but their recidivism rate of becoming homeless again is very high. And so, you know, what's that really telling us is that there's a lot of underlining, you know, issues there that aren't being resolved. You know, yeah, they're throwing some money at these veterans and giving them shelter, but they're not really addressing why. You know, what's what's wrong? And so, um, what what I do is I work for a program that that the VA has put this grant together um, for. Uh, I'm working for my licensed clinical social work and that's the role I'll I'll be holding. Um, They're they're kind of putting me in there a little early now, Um, so I'm not having as much direct practice. But as soon as I get my license, what I'll be doing is a lot of direct practice with these veterans. And then I'll also be doing some case management, making sure that their housing is stable um, as well. And then uh, my my main goal is to to go private practice and and um, get out there and also spread the word of brain spotting and community building. That's that's excellent. Private practice
0: is to me it's where it's at. I mean, I, I've worked in community mental health. I've, I did a lot of grant work. Um, I, I used to be um, the veteran services director at at Goodwill over in Tacoma, and I, I had like six or seven veterans grants, and and I worked with the program like you described, and it was at. It was an SSVF uh, program that we worked with. Um, So we would that program was was hosted through the uh, the Catholic Charities over there in Washington at the time. Um, So we would, but there was different places around around the country that did it. It was a good grant. It had it. uh, It had its hiccups, and it's had its some of the rules. I think needed to be uh, changed a little bit because it, it it put a big burden on the vets to you know if they even if they didn't have housing um i don't know if it's the same way now because this was years ago but even though they didn't have housing um they had to prove basically that that they were homeless and and before they could get the help like the night or two before they had to check into a shelter or something like that and um that in itself was a barrier because a lot of vets was like look i'm already on the streets i don't want to check into a damn shelter and and risk being, you know, assaulted or whatever it is. So that was, that was a barrier that we found with that grant.
1: Yeah. That documented homelessness is, you know, it's a huge barrier and even more so now all the shelters are closed here in Chicago because of the pandemic It's very hard to get in the shelter right now. So even getting that documentation is difficult. Now I work with veterans uh, post SSVF. So, you know, after they've been, you know, stabilized and found that housing. But no, I hear you. And, you know, right now I'm, I'm working in actually an active war zone. The west side of Chicago, um, it's East Garfield Park, uh, to the left of me, to the... Uh, to the. Uh, East of me, I got um, Humble Park to the north of me, North Lawndale to the south of me. Anybody that knows the city of Chicago knows these are the, the worst neighborhoods. And then our other locations, Englewood on the south side. And so the veterans I'm serving, you know, they're coming from environments that are still uh, literally active, like active war zones. Um, scary, scary places to be. Um, I'm here in Chicago because I want to get back to my city. I want to get my license here, but uh, I do not want to be here permanently. Um, I actually tried to move to Seattle last year, ended up homeless myself um, out there, and uh, came back home. But once I get my license, maybe I'll give the West Coast a shot, or I don't know, everybody's going to Austin. Maybe I'll go down there. Who knows, you know? But uh, Chicago is not permanent for me. Um, It's a very stressful life here, um, dangerous place to live. I mean, I Great. see it in the news a
0: lot, you know, where they talk about the crime rate, which is, which is so um, it, it, it just, it baffles my mind that I talk about this with people in, in, in sessions, not not necessarily Chicago, but just you keep doing what you're doing. You keep getting what you're getting right. Ms. Wilbrat, my fourth grade teacher would always tell us that. And I have these little cards that I hand out that says that, but yet the city has been doing the same stuff and and, and voting for the same people for 50, 50, 60 years mm-hmm. when it takes the community to change it. Like what's, what's the, what's
1: the vibe down there? Is the community tired of all that stuff going on? Yeah. I mean, the community is tired of it, but just to be real, man, people are lost, you know? Um, and I mean, how many of us are not happy with their government yet? What are we doing about it? You know, like, it's hard. Just what, you know, most people, we talk about, like, uh, generational trauma. You know, a lot of people, including me, generations after generations, this has been life. So the idea of doing, the only idea of change is to leave, is to run away. And um, we, Illinois, Chicago and Illinois has, you know, one of the highest rates of people leaving the state. And um, it's for that very reason, you know, it's, it doesn't seem uh, possible to change things. And, you know, if, and if so, you probably had to have that conversation with somebody with uh, more faith and more education than I have. <laughs> I, well, I don't necessarily know if it's
0: more education. I think a lot of times it's just people need to, people vote for comfort, like you said, and, and it's easier to leave than it is to fix it. Um, and I think, I think of all levels of government, that's the same thing where it's, it's, uh, the people that are going to take advantage of it, they stay in power and the people that are tired of it, they just walk away and go do something differently. Um, but I mean, Chicago, like I said, I've never been there, but every, every person that I've heard going there and my sister lived there for, for about 10 years and she would always talk about, um, Living in Chicago was a good experience for, um, but it was it was one that was you know scary at times too, mm-hmm. you know. Especially what,
1: this. Um, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm.
0: Go
1: ahead. So Especially this year. This year, I
0: bet. Yeah, and and then you know right? the, the laws don't necessarily match the 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 crime rate, but it's 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 insane. Um, I hope you stay safe out there. Honestly, I mean it's it's good on you for 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 trying to give back to the community. Um, when if you don't mind sharing for a little bit, because th- I, I really think that your story, man, is going to resonate with a lot of vets and a lot of vets that got out. Because as you see, you work with people that are post SSVF, but the homeless veteran problem is not—it's it, not a small number. I mean, there, there's when I was in Washington State, and the reason I was out there is because when I got out of Fort Lewis, my wife was from there, and so we mm-hmm. stayed there until we until we moved back to Louisiana a few years ago. Um, but out there, the homeless issue is 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 really big as well, and and around the country, Austin and and in a lot of other places, because uh, I used to work with the uh, Austin Goodwill was one of our partners we'd work with, so we'd go down to Austin and and they would tell us about their their veterans programs and their homeless problems and stuff. So, what's the big fix in your book? Like, what's what's keeping these vets homeless?
1: You know, uh, I would say, you know, mental mental illness, trauma. You know, trauma, um, not not addressing this mental illness, not putting in the work. Um, and then you add self-medicating and addiction on top of that. You know, that and this is, this environment isn't really an environment to heal. You know, um, you could find a place in the city that among the four walls is an environment to heal. But as soon as you step outside, It's hard to really control that reality, you know? Um, And our culture here, the culture here is also, um, is not conductive uh, of, of healing. You know, so I don't know. That's a, a big question you asked me. I hate to give it such a such a simplified and quick re- response, you know, but that's the thing. We can address all the mental illness. We can address drug addiction. We can address, um, you know, the competitive housing market and the economy. We can address the jobs. But at the end of the day, um, people love to wall the fuck out here, man. People love to drink. To get high, to be promiscuous, to shoot guns and be violent and um to go to jail, all that shit. Most America's stuck on the so shameless. That's real life here. That's that's real life here. You know, that's that's what we live what we live here. And um so it's no simple answer. You know, and it's gonna take more than money. It's gonna take more than money. You're
0: absolutely right. It's gonna take it's gonna take major uh leadership of of of, of uh people and, and not leadership on a scale of oh he's famous she's famous you know i mean who 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 fucking cares what with what kim says or or you know what kanye says or whatever it's it's yeah. it's it's it takes leadership that's that's known the community and and leadership that 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 can be respected and I mean, I've only been talking to you for an hour, but I think you got the credibility in your community
1: to, to fucking be that leadership, you know? Man, you know, it's it's scary to get your name sticking out out here, you know? Uh, every person I know with a name out here disappear. You know, they, I don't know, man. You know, I'd have to find a, a good mentor or something, but even that, that's hard to find out here. You know, it's, I don't know. And uh, my commitment level... Man, I only got this one life to live. I spent enough of it here. You know, I'm trying to, man, you mentioned fishing. i never been fishing a day of my life. You know, we talk about camping. The camping I did was the four years I was in the service. You know, we talk about some of them things. Man, I got a 16-year-old and a 7-year-old. I've been married 20 years. My wife deserves to get out of here. My, my, my children, they deserve to, you know, I, I told you I went to Seattle. I wanted, I wanted, I went out there, Fort Lewis, man, that nature, the mountains, the ocean, the trees, you know how different that is from this environment here? (laughs) So I I need that in my life, man, sometime, and I, I deserve it. So as much as I hear you, as much as I'm all about building up the community. Maybe I finish raising my kids, I'll come back, but um your boy deserves a little a little peace and tranquility for a while. You know, I I I literally got a bulletproof uh hoodie that I wear when I go to work. When I today I had to pick up a grocery cart from Craigslist for one of my old veterans so he could walk around, pick that up from this neighborhood it's a war zone. I step out of my car. People are checking me. What are you doing here? Bang your set. Nick, hurry up. Get out of here. And, you know, every, you know, it's just a scary place, man. So I look forward to getting my LCSW and uh, moving on. You know, my resume represent what I'm from. My stories will, my skills and attributes. I'll carry the Town spirit where I go, but uh, somebody else is going to have to tag me out. Yeah, no, man. I-
0: <laughs> I totally respect that. I, I I I didn't tell you when I moved back to Louisiana after being away for years, um, and I grew up, you know, like I said, 15 minutes outside New Orleans, I moved on, on the North Shore, which is um uh more of the suburbs. And um so if you're ever looking for lower cost of living, and we don't have no mountains here, but we got we got bayous and we got uh lots of fishing holes and everything like that. Uh, come, come look at, uh, Madisonville, Mandeville, Covington, Louisiana. I mean, you can get a nice house, uh, you know, not too much money and
1: beautiful schools and, you know, lower taxes and shit. That's where it's at. Hey man, the South has always been good to me. New Orleans is one of my favorite cities. New Orleans always been good to me. Uh, for granted, she always leaves me hung over and hurt. Um, yay. I might take you up on that offer one day soon.
0: Yeah, just let me know. Let me know if you ever want to go fishing. We'll go out in the boat and go get us some fish. You know, go out there and do that. So I always try to, um, as we as we start, and I, and I I want to have you back, man, to 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 do a you know a more a honed in version and and maybe some specific topics because I I bet we are barely touching the surface of your story. Um, and I appreciate you reaching. Out. I was I was telling my wife last night. I was like I was like I'm excited to talk to this guy. I said he's sounded like he's got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Um, so one of the things that I do towards the end of the podcast is, uh, I, I I like to give shout outs to, uh, to veteran, veteran organizations that, you know, that, uh, need some attention or that are doing good things out there. Um, do you have any, any, any veteran businesses, small businesses, local businesses, whatever that that you want to give shout outs to?
1: I mean, naturally, I just got to give a shout out to the vet center. You know, it's something that we both can relate to. Um, man, I hate hospitals, man. I hate hospitals, so the fact that we have these vet centers around where vets don't have to go under the, the bright lights and don't have to go see other veterans that got their limbs blown off and people losing, you know, it's, it's it, man, it can be a traumatic experience going into the VA, you know? So uh, the vet center for sure, you know, the veteran of foreign wars, the VFWs around here, um, they're always a safe haven for us veterans. Um, I've never been there and there's never been a dig measuring competition, uh, never been in anything toxic. It's been love and support. Um, so you know, and then uh, you know, American Legion, they've been good to us and you know, really it's not a lot of a lot of veterans, uh big veteran communities out here. We're kinda, you know, I don't know if it's just the culture of the city is that we all just kind of mess with our own or what it is. But, um, yeah, the, you know, the vet centers, man, they're putting a lot of work out here. And so, you know, I, I had to give them a lot of credit. I wouldn't be here without them.
0: Man, I really appreciate your time today. And, and for us, uh, the veterans businesses here, um, I got mine, uh, freedom within LLC. You find me on Facebook at freedom within therapy. Uh, on Twitter at vet underscore therapist. Are you on Twitter? uh no, I'm not. You're not on Twitter. Okay, so vet underscore therapist on Twitter for me. Uh, if you wanna wanna help the North Shore Braves, uh, at North Shore Braves on Facebook.
1: Uh,
0: I didn't ask you. Are you are you a bit are, are you a Cubs or White Sox fan?
1: No, man. I'm an MMA fan. I don't I don't really get into sports much anymore. I get into the fighting, and that's about it. McGregor got his ass knocked out too. Oh yeah, he did. You know, that was uh that was great, but you know what? He put up that 500,000 to Dustin Poirier's uh his uh charity. I'll give, give McGregor props. You know, he just got knocked out. The world made fun of him and he still put his money where his mouth is. And these guys, you know, using their their, their star life for charity, especially Dustin. He's a Louisiana boy. He's a good hometown boy and he's giving, a, you know, back to the community. So props to both of them gentlemen, you know, for doing that. Absolutely, and if McGregor ever hears this, hey, I'm you beat my ass, so don't. don't I'm not talking shit about
0: you. <laughs> so, so you I, think I, could
1: go, I think I could give him a run for his money when it comes to mouth to mouth. You know, yeah. I could talk shit with the best of them, but uh, as far as the octagon, no, uh, that's. Uh, somebody else <laughs> yeah that's not
0: my I'm, that's not my day anymore, so McGregor, if you ever out there man, good on you and I, and I'm gonna cheer for you in your next fight but uh you know so but man, thank you so much for being on the show and uh thank you for for sharing your story and and talking about uh brain spotting and talking about trauma and generational trauma. maybe that's the topic we pick up on next time is generational trauma uh because I think you're absolutely right, I think that until the people decide and, and not just people in general, but each individual person decides that we need to, to change something. Um, it's not going to be changed. And, and and generational trauma could be through, through drug addiction, through alcoholism, through um, just, just whipping your kids. Right. I mean, that's, that's generational stuff that, that if you don't change the way you do something, you're either going to do it exactly like your parents, or you're going to do it the exact opposite of your parents. um, so that, that could be a good topic for us to pick up on, on another date, the generational piece. Um, again, thank you for joining us. And, and if you are listening to the show and, and you want more information, you, know, you can email me at info at freedomwithintherapy.com. And you can get me on the social medias, like I said. And uh, we want to thank everybody for, for joining us and listening. And y'all have a good day now, here. Yeah?